0: This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth planners and investment managers who offer unwavering support in challenging times. Visit candowealth.com for more information.
1: Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Isabel Hardman and this is the Sunday Roundup. Tributes to Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II have continued to pour in from across the world. Indeed, the Queen's longevity and dedication to her role allowed her to command respect from those hostile to the idea of monarchy altogether. This was in evidence this morning when Sky News' Cordelia Lynch sat down with the Australian Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese.
2: It's reignited a debate about a republic. Do you think in this moment that that is appropriate or perhaps even opportunistic?
3: Well, I I am of the personal view, and I've made it uh, clear that now is the time for us to pay tribute to the life of Queen Elizabeth II, to give thanks uh, for her service to uh, Australia, to the Commonwealth and to the world, and uh, that is the focus that I have.
2: When it comes to the monarchy, do you think, though, Australians want to see the institution evolve?
3: Uh, Well, of course, and and it has evolved and it will continue uh, to evolve. Uh, It will need to uh, continue to move with the times. Uh, But the bigger questions about our constitution are are not ones for uh, this current period. Uh, This is a period in which... Uh, we are showing the grief that so many Australians are feeling at the moment uh, showing our deep respect and admiration uh, for uh, the contribution of the queen uh, to australia do you
2: think this moment this pause for reflection internationally might actually consolidate people's belief in the power of the monarchy
3: oh look that uh, that we will see um, uh, what occurs. Uh, I think the important thing is, I think, to commemorate uh, the moment that we're in now. And it is a, a moment of reflection about an extraordinary life.
2: She certainly had a, a powerful connection, and we've witnessed that firsthand here in Australia. And just to confirm though, no, no referendum in, in your first term?
3: No.
1: On her new BBC show, Laura Koonsberg asked former Prime Ministers for their recollections of the Queen from their time in office. Gordon Brown told Koonsberg with enthusiasm about the Queen's passion for the country and the Commonwealth.
4: I never had any advice, and and she wouldn't give that, but she would listen, she would ask questions, uh, she would be endlessly knowledgeable about everything happening in the Commonwealth. I was very embarrassed one day because I went in to see her at 6 o'clock and I didn't know that one of the Commonwealth leaders had uh, had been uh, ousted and that a gov- new government had been formed. And she was telling me what was happening when I was supposed to report to her. And even on British affairs, you know, I'd been in the House of Commons all afternoon in mean, endless debates or cabinet meetings or something. And she, I think, had been watching television. She was getting... Uh, uh, notes from her secretaries, and she actually knew better about what was happening to the country than I was. It was quite embarrassing, but it, it just showed how conscientious she was, h- how well up on the detail, and I think right to the last, and, and you could see that in the meeting she had with uh, Liz Truss when she became Prime Minister, and Boris Johnson when she left, that she fulfilled her duties right up until the end. But she, she listened and she asked questions, I and mean, remember, famously, she asked, you know, why have these bankers got it all wrong in 2008? but she would never impose her will. And th- this is the modern monarchy, and I think she set the tone for what King Charles and other monarchs will do. Did she ever
2: change your mind?
4: I think in, in, in the Commonwealth, yes. I mean, she, she was so supportive of the Commonwealth. One of her great friends, and probably the two greatest leaders at the time, were herself and Nelson, Nelson Mandela, and they had a great relationship. And I knew Mandela uh, well, and he used to tell me these stories. You know, When he talked to the Queen, uh, and phoned her up from, from South Africa. You know, we would have said, Your Majesty, Ma'am, how are you? Uh, he said, uh, Hello, Elizabeth. How's the Duke? I mean, these were the words he actually used.
1: On Times Radio, the Armenian-based journalist Gabriel Gavin told Chloe Tilley why even Russia's president, Vladimir Putin, had warm words for the Queen upon her death. Some people may be
2: surprised that, that he held her in such high esteem.
5: Yeah, absolutely, and it was a surprisingly generous and warm message uh, in which he talked about her as an important symbol um, and emphasised the fact that she played such a decisive role throughout history. And what we've seen over the last few months since uh, the start of Russia's war in Ukraine is that any message of any kind that comes from the Russian government is increasingly critical, is increasingly, looks to kind of troll the West and w- rile people up. But it's very clear that the Kremlin on this occasion didn't take that opportunity, didn't want to incense uh, supporters of the Queen or her family, and um, issued actually a very muted statement. But I I think from personal experience, and there's very limited polling available on this kind of thing, but actually the Queen is a hugely popular figure in Russia and has been since she made the first ever visit of a British head of state uh, to the country since her own relatives were killed by the Bolsheviks. Um, she visited in 1994 and there were huge crowds, people turning out across Moscow, Uh, people offering flowers up, looking to try and shake her hand across the barricades and she really did become a symbol, I think, for people in Russia and across the former Soviet Union um, of a kind of very different old world understanding of power that harked back to something before the the communist revolutions across the former Soviet Union Um, and kind of stood for, I think, a, 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 as a symbol that power could be used deferentially and that it wasn't um, it wasn't all about corrupt, you know, corruption or um, or autocracy. And it stood in sharp contrast, I think, to what people had. Um, and I think she became, therefore, a symbol of liberty and freedom in a way that no no one else really could.
1: Speaking of Russia, Tilly went on to speak to the former British Army officer, Dr. Mike Martin, who was withering about the status of the Russian army, which has been heavily pushed back by the Ukrainians over the past few weeks.
0: The fundamentals of this war have never really been right for Russia. They've never had enough troops. Um, The troops that they have had have been poorly trained, poor morale. Because of the corruption in the forces, they've been sort of poorly equipped rather than buying you know, the military grade stuff, they've bought the cheap stuff and so on and so forth. And the Ukrainians have uh, had the opposite. You know, they've got great Western equipment, um, more and more coming online all the time. They're fighting to defend their homeland, their morale is sky high. So I guess that's the background. And then what's happened over the last two, three weeks, last month or so, is that the Ukrainians have been pushing in the south in this place called Kherson, which is, which is, on the way to crimea for the ukrainians and that caused because because crimea is very important for the russians that's really their strategic center of gravity the russians lots rushed lots of troops in to Kherson to defend it and because they don't have enough troops overall they thinned out in the northeast in this place called Kharkiv, um and also in the donbas where they had that offensive a couple of months ago and what the ukrainians realized was that there was this huge opportunity the russians were spread very very thinly And so they took advantage of it and they just drove a a kind of mechanized uh, thrust uh, eastwards from Kharkiv, which is the second biggest city in uh, Ukraine in the northeast, Um, right through, as you said in your intro, they took Kupyansk. Um, Once they took Kupyansk, because that's a major rail junction, then the Russians had to surrender a place called Izum because they were cut off from supplies. And then it it created a kind of domino effect. And, And what you actually find in war War's really about psychology. And once you've shattered your enemy's supply and leadership and its ability to coordinate, the whole thing starts to collapse and dominoes start falling, everyone panics, troops start running away. And that's really what we're seeing uh, amongst the Russian army. Large pockets of it are, you know, putting on civilian clothes, running away or getting annihilated or just pulling out. Like it's it's a total rout is, is the only way we can describe it.
1: And finally, David Cameron told Koonsberg that he had high hopes for King Charles III.
5: I uh, had audiences with Prince Charles when Queen Elizabeth II was still on the throne because he wanted to start thinking about how to conduct those audiences. And from what I saw, he he will be brilliant at that job, brilliant at listening, brilliant at asking questions, um, giving wise advice and sage counsel. I mean, this has probably been... The longest apprenticeship in history and uh, he knows so much about so many subjects and like his mother he is a superb diplomat. I saw him in action at Commonwealth Heads of Government meetings and he knows every leader personally, he interacts with them brilliantly. I think you'll see that Charles III uh, will be a very worthy successor in that regard.
1: That's all for this week. I'm Isabel Hardman and this podcast was produced by Matthew Taylor. Don't forget to subscribe to the Coffee House Shots podcast on the iTunes store. And if you enjoyed this podcast, do subscribe to our daily Evening Blend email. It's a free roundup of all the political news each day, along with analysis and a diary on what to expect next. Just go to spectator.co.uk forward slash blend. Thanks for listening. Do join us again next week.